1: The unexpected. The new Ford Mustang. Brilliant new kind of car. A new generation of Fords for the new breed of Americans who want stick shift action and room for four. Who collect sports car badges and trading stamps. Who want the elegance of a European touring car and till now have to settle for basic transportation. This is for them. This is Mustang. Mustang. With an unexpected variety of options, Mustang is the one car that's designed to be designed by you. Get ready to meet the unexpected, April 17th, at your Ford dealers. Mustang is only days away. <laughs>
2: Dreams are made.
3: or standard transmission, dozens of options. But as standard equipment, you get bucket seats, wall-to-wall carpeting,
1: all-vinyl upholstery, padded instrument panel, and full-wheel covers. Even though Mustang is a dream, its low price is a beautiful reality. Just drive one right now at your Ford dealer's in pleasant dreams.
0: Hi, this is Edsel Ford with the Ford Motor Company, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Enjoy the show. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Run your computers in Google, tamtalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. I'm your show host, Robert. Uh, Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, you can go to our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, and check out our podcast. Don't forget to go to our Facebook page and like us on Facebook. Okay. (laughs) I have I have one of my buddies sitting in the uh, studio with me here, it's Alan. and uh, Alan, Alan, welcome back to uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, don't we have like that little theme song thing? Are we working on that? Because yeah, uh, there,
2: there we go, we got
0: it. <laughs> yeah, and why do we play that song? Because Alan drives a Volvo. <laughs> <laughs> or actually, you know what? Steve Zagany has a Volvo too, doesn't he? But it doesn't apply to him because it's. Is that's it, a box. Yeah, it's a box. Well, you I, a, I got
4: the box wagon, but I do have the 1800. It's, I've been getting my hands dirty on it and cutting myself
0: trying to get it. Yeah, going. that's your 65, right? Yeah. You know, I would, did you look at the brand trailer? There was a picture of a guy had a 67, 1800. Yours is an S, correct? Yes. Okay, yeah. there's, 60, on, on there's a six on on am dot There's a 67 S on there for 8,500 bucks out in California, which I thought was a deal.
4: Not bad if, it's good, if it doesn't have rust on it.
0: No, well out west, you yeah. know, it's funny, it's interesting because we talked about this once before. The last time on the show, you know, which cars are kind of be, yeah. you know, the up and coming stars, so to speak, and the Volvo P 1800, 1800 S, 1800 E, and ES will be the winners, don't you think? Yeah, of course. Well, now wait a minute. What's the uh, the the who's the guy that there's what three million
4: miles on one or something? Oh, Irv Gordon. Yeah, he's got three million miles on it. Yeah, they rebuild the engine twice though. Oh really?
0: Yeah. Well the car's got three million yeah. miles. The
4: original car. Right. It's the original block. And he had to, they had to pull the transmission out once they had problems with third gear. I think it was
0: about three million miles. You know, it's just a little out of warranty, right? Yeah, <laughs> just a little out of warranty. Okay. Well, anyway, Alan and I are going to do kind of a special show tonight because a today, but we are actually pre-taping this show on April seventeenth. So today is the actual fiftieth anniversary of the Mustang. Mustang. So we're here to commemorate the Mustang fiftieth anniversary. Uh, probably, if you tuned in just at the beginning of the show, you caught the the commercial that was one was the pilot commercial for the sixty four. Mustang, 64.5, 65 Mustang, and then the other one was the first official commercial I think they had, which featured the car at the World's Fair. Anyway, and then we're going to pay tribute to an old dear friend of ours that unfortunately passed away here a while back. Back in December. Back in December, and his name was Bob Aldridge, Robert, Robert Aldridge, Aldridge, but yeah. also known as, aka, also known as Tweety. Tweety. And I'll let you do the intro on Tweety. Go ahead and talk about Tweety a little bit, Alan.
4: Okay. Well, Tweety uh, worked for Shelby. I ran across him at uh, Shelby Meet in Nashville. And he lives in Largo. I go visit him and stuff like that. He'd tell me all these stories about what happened with Shelby and what he did. And I wrote down a lot of stuff. I remembered it and amazing that he's still alive he hung out with a lot of people did a lot of things and a lot of the names he's associated with there's like people go yeah i've heard of them you've heard of them. you know and he's done things that you've seen on tv cars whatever yeah, I remember that car on TV. He did it. You know, him...
0: Well, name him. some of those people Okay, now. Well, Yeah, go ahead. Okay. On, let's go. Was that Dean
4: Jeffries when he was in oh, Phoenix? Yeah. <laughs> he was in Phoenix. They built the Sunbeam Alpine for Don Adams in Get Smart, where the cannon came, in out, came out of the hood. Mm-hmm. And uh, they built uh, the spacecraft Galileo for... Star Trek TV show for right. Gene Roddenberry's,
0: but I mean he had he he was a very talented guy. Yeah, he, yeah. He's from Medford, but, Oregon originally. Right, yeah. And his dad, his was dad, a race car driver, and worked on some of the original Novi Indy car engines right. and stuff like that. So right. he was kind of like destined to be a car guy. Yeah. And then he moved to Southern Cal and take it from there, Alan. Yeah. Well, then he got a job with Barris. Okay, George Barris. Yeah, obviously. George
4: Barris. Yeah, George Barris, of course. He painted a lot of cars. He told me a story one time. His friends wrote him a letter. You know, they write back and forth because he didn't have an email back then. They write back. No. Yeah. <laughs> they ran back and forth, and his friends, three of his friends said, hey, we're coming down to visit. we want to see all these movie stars, you know. He's like, he lives in L.A. Doesn't mean he knows everyone. Okay. So anyway, so they come down. They go to Dino's, Dean's Restaurant. Dean uh-huh. Martin's restaurant in Hollywood, right? Okay. You go to Dino's restaurant. And they walk inside there. There's Frank Sinatra and Juliet Prowse, the dancer. Yeah. Where that's when he was, we were hanging out, right? So they sit down and his buddies are going, hey, there's Frank Sinatra. They're going all nuts. Frank goes, hi, Tweety. And Tweety goes, hi, Frank. And of course, his friends went ballistic, right? That's always a big <laughs> deal. So Frank walks over and said, hey, Tweety, you did a good job on my car. Took $500 bills, folded them up stuck it in his top pocket in his shirt, said, mind if we join you? Tweedy's like, okay, sure. Hey, Frank, can't you see I'm busy? You know, But <laughs> he let him join anyway. So anyway, um, and then Frank paid the bill for him and everything. What Tweedy painted what for Frank, the car still exists, is a Ghia 6.4, which is the second Ghia they built. The first one was a dual Ghia. This is a Ghia. It's actually L6.4 for the leaders. There was a 33 Chrysler in it. And Tweedy painted the car black, and he used baking soda on it. He said to make it real shiny. Twitter really? Tell me that. Yeah. And I was, you see that car? It's in a, in Reno, I think in a museum, Reno or Vegas. I think it's in Reno. Don't quote me on it. I'm sure you can Google it, but it's got his paint job
0: on it. Still to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Now what year was the gear Was that like it late fifties? 62. 62. 60. Okay. So early sixties. Yeah. 61, 62. They were more or less. But anyway, so, uh, so there was a black coupe and, mm-hmm. um, well, now, Tweety told you a lot of stories because you yeah. had the luxury of, what, well, and I did too, but we were always jaw jacking about some other stuff. But I know you took him up to Michigan one time to one of the Shelby meets, right? Right. And yeah. uh, so he just filled your little head up with all kinds of cool stories. Yeah. Tell us now, he also worked for, he would, did George Bearers, yeah. but at one point in time, what was his, his trade? He kind of experimented with Metal Flake paints, right? Wasn't well, that the big no, actually, dip? he
4: didn't do it. The guy that invented Metal Flake, I was just reading about him recently, and I forget the names. Anyway, Tweety knew the guy, and Tweety did the second Metal Flake paint job.
0: Oh, that guy. Yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah whoever the guy I can't remember the guy's name. You know, you know, this isn't 800,000 watts, so. Okay. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not reaching that.
4: California, and we're not reaching L.A.? Yeah. Um, we're not beaming off the moon yeah. here? And but he, he painted a few other cars, you know, He's told me about, because actually, we know another guy, Dr. Dan, Dan Dempsey. Oh, yeah, Dan Dempsey. Dan, Dan, Dan. That, Okay, I did edit. it for you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. I've Dan, had more practice. Dan did we, did and Tweety worked at... Barris At the same time. Did they really? Yeah, because Dan was telling me about a cross story from the GIA 6.4... From Sinatra's, because Dan was there at the time. Dan told me a story about that, because, you know, what you do is you ask a question, shut your mouth, and listen. Well, yeah, yeah. of course. And so I'm over at Dan's place one time. We're talking about whatever. And um, so we're talking about the cars. And I said, yeah, Tweety painted Frank's car. He goes, oh, yeah. He says I was there when they brought the cars in. They brought three cars in, Frank's, Sam's, and Dean's, because they had their French headlights, the CBs, they call them. The CBAs. CBAs, mm-hmm. how do you say Okay. Mm-hmm. And they're um, the rectangular ones, it makes your car look a lot better. Oh, absolutely. They, I think they did eight cars like that. And, um, you know, Frank bought one for him. He bought one for Dean, bought one for Sammy. Nice guy. Yeah. Well, he did that. Dan was talking to him. You know? uh-huh. And so he said, well, Frank said, my car, I want to paint it black, paint the other car. He says like black. They're all different colors, right? And he, he said, well, why don't you just trade cars? He said, no, this is my car. I want this color. This car went this color. This car went this color. No kidding. Yeah. Which Frank was like, that. just give these guys money, you know, give them work, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the cars weren't originally... I'm talking to Dan. They weren't originally what they were until they got the Barris. Then they were painted. Dean's car, it shows it. It it was on the internet recently for sale. It was like, uh, it was black, but it showed black interior, but I don't get the different colors. Maybe the outside of the cars are different. The inside is, they were all black, you know, but they painted what you see now all three cars that were painted black anyway. So, you know, things change over the years. Who knows?
0: I know what it was. It was a different shade of black.
4: Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, Dan's telling about that. You know, so Dan was actually crossing with, you know, the two stores crossed together, you know, with Tweety painting the... Frank's car and tell me about it you know
0: well Tweety has some pretty cool contacts and some I mean he worked for Craig Breedlove for a while yeah, um, you can yeah. tell us the story there and he worked yeah. for uh Lancer Ventlow in fact didn't no, he,
4: he... he didn't work for Lancer Ventlow they were just they just hung out
0: oh really I thought he worked
4: on a scarab no he never told me no? that he just said they just hung out Okay. Okay, well he told you one thing. Maybe I maybe he told you half the story. And I got the other half. Let's put it to other been. Half and have a whole thing going.
0: But it had something to do with Lance Reventlow, and for those yeah. of you guys that don't know, Lance Reventlow is heir to what, Revlon? Is that what no, it was? No, Woolworth. Oh, Woolworth, Bob that's right. Huttin. But he was a race car driver and he built what, Scarabs, right? Scarabs, three of them. Three, six, them. five. I think there's four of them. Okay.
4: Yeah. Three front engine, one mid engine. Augie Pabst has two of them. Okay. But anyway, so he used to hang out with Lance Reventlow and Keenan Wynn. Which is an actor you see him in a lot of 50s oh, yeah. and 60s stuff, and the movies. Disney movies. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so he used to hang out with those guys. And Lance had like cubic dollars. That's mm-hmm. why you could build a race car and lose money; it didn't matter. Gotcha. Yeah. And um,
0: he always go to the five and dime. <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> and replenish.
4: <laughs> Keenan Wynn <laughs> wasn't bad off either because he he was in, um, well. His dad mainstream. was an actor, and yeah, he, he was an actor. Yeah, his dad was actually vaudeville.
0: Okay. Well, his yeah. dad was the old man in uh, Mary Poppins. Oh, yeah. That was his father. Remember when they were laughing and they were floating up to the ceiling? Yeah, I did, yeah. That was Keenan Wynn's father. Okay, yeah. And then Keenan Wynn was in a number of movies, but he was in the Mobile by Disney. But he did a lot of the other ones. He was always yeah. in the the early 60s movies with Norm Grabowski and uh, Frankie Avalon and all yeah. those kind of movies. He was even Oh, no, no. Monkey's Uncle and stuff like that. That's yeah. what it was. He was even
4: it? later in like... Um, canon episodes you know, oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. canon whatever
0: it was in different episodes. played the bad guy played the heavy played oh, the because yeah, he got um, the know. voice for it yeah yeah
4: and of course you don't forget the time tweety got thrown in jail at the bahamas speed week
0: uh no tell us that
4: story okay well tweety's talking to me he said yeah well, we're racing and um he said he wanted to go into town to get some beer or whatever and so they had these pit bikes that had these big old balloon tires on them Mm-hmm. It was a little motorbike, whatever. So he said he's going, driving through town. The roads aren't paved. It just rained, and the, you know back then the Bahamian traffic cops wore white. There were like creases on their clothes. They were perfect, you know. This, well, they were British, yeah. And mm-hmm. so this, he says, guys directing traffic, and um, he sees Tweety goes by, gets a puddle in the big old tire, gets a guy soaked with mud. Oh. In nice white thing, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, he gets they get anyway he gets arrested, gets goes to jail. So they call Carol Shelby up, and Carol Shelby had to come down and say, "I'm Carol Shelby." Okay, let him go. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have to know anything; he just had to know someone.
0: Had to know somebody. Yeah. Well, now I remember Tweety telling me too, and I think I actually saw that. But um, not, he was such a skilled body man, painter, oh, yeah. fabricator. Yeah, he
4: could do anything. He, he made it look like it was no big deal.
0: He did, and yeah. then if I remember correctly, he showed me some books that he had actually been involved with, where like some of these how-to books, yeah. where he actually was in the books, oh, yeah. illustrating how to do it. I remember seeing like Hot Rod
4: Magazine that. seventy-three, I think it oh, was. Yeah, okay, he did a he did a. I don't know the whole detail. I, I looked at the book once. He was doing some kind of custom work or everything and painting. Yeah, yeah, but on the cover it said Tweety the Painter.
0: Tweety the Painter. He was
4: on the you know he, he wasn't on the cover, but the, the promo was on the cover. And so you go inside and had an article about how the paint is telling you what to and
0: do. And I saw it. It had little text, and it actually yeah. showed pictures of him. Yeah. You got some more stories about Tweety. Okay, let's see what we got here. We'll edit this out till I figure out. What, what the, the the Jill Say John one? I can't tell that one.
4: Uh, well, we'll put if, it, if you're
0: you know tasteful, what? if you're tasteful about it.
4: Okay. Um, Tweety hung out with various people, so he's hanging out at a party. Von Dutch was there, by the way. Oh, yeah,
0: we got to talk about Von Dutch. Yeah,
4: yeah. We'll we'll do Von Dutch, and we'll do the party. Okay. Because okay. Tweety knew Von Dutch pretty well. Okay, so Tweety, they're in Phoenix at Von Dutch's shop, and there's an ant track, a trail of ants going from the refrigerator outside, right outside the, <laughs> the door, and there's a hole where they're going in. He there are big old red ants, right? Yeah. Big old ants. So they stuck a dy- stick of dynamite in the hole, and there a big boulder.
0: Now, back up, you got to tell everybody why, because they're Von Dutch be- was a gunsmith, okay? So yeah. he, le- he was the weapons and yeah. blowing so things the, up. So
4: they're going to blow up the ants. Right. Okay, yeah, this is like, this is. Applied technology. <laughs> so they said, let's blow up the ants. How much? Let's put a stick of dynamite. They shoved a stick of dynamite down there, lit it. Well, it, when it blew up, it sent the rock straight up in the air.
0: Now, T- it was a big rock, right? Yeah, it was a boulder.
4: It was Tweetie a boulder. It was okay. a boulder, yeah. <laughs> okay. So Tweedy said, the boulder went up. Everyone's running away except Vaughn Dutch because it looked like it was going right to his 1959 El Camino <laughs> and he's running after it, going to catch it. Unfortunately, he <laughs> didn't catch the boulder and the
0: boulder didn't hit his car. <laughs> <laughs> That would have made him upset. Although there was a plenty of body shop guys around that could have fixed that thing yeah, anyway.
4: That's the principle of the thing. You know, you bend up your own car, you know? Yeah, that's true. And then I'm oh, back to the party now. Tweety is at a party. He was hanging out with Lancer Ventlow. Mm-hmm. That's when Lance Ventlow was married to Jill St. John. He was married to her. Yeah. Okay. Pause. Um, <laughs> and Vaughn Dutch was there, and Tweety was there, and the other whoever else was there. The- anyway... Jill St. John goes, Oh, Vaughn Dutch, why don't you um letter up my mailbox? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, Van Gogh, um paint a sunset scene on the back of my car, you know. Okay. Yeah. So and he goes, No, I don't do that. You know, I don't I'm a I do pinstriping, I don't paint mailboxes. So she um reveals herself? Re, she, she reveals the north <laughs> slopes, right? And, um, and okay. she's standing behind him. And she said, well, he said, what font do you want?
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know if
4: that'll go on the air or not.
0: But yeah, why not? Read, read between a lines. You did it very tastefully. I tried to. You did. Yeah, yeah you know, that's yeah. good. Good. The references were fine. They're acceptable. Yeah. Well, anyway, hey, this like I said, okay. this if you're tuned in, this is uh, nostalgic racing cars, and we're doing a special tribute to Tweedy, former jeez, I mean race car painter, fabricator with Carol Shelby back in the day, good yeah. friend of ours. We're gonna play a song here real quick. This is, I think we got uh, Mustang Sally queued up because we're doing a little tribute to the Mustang thing, and for 50 years, yeah. yeah. So we'll just do that, and then uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna bring on a couple people that worked with Tweedy. At Shelby American, and knew him well and knew him very well, and they're, they're going to re- each come on and tell a little bit about themselves, and they're going to give us a Tweety story. So that should be pretty interesting. So, okay, hey, we got a cool song for you now. We have to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Mustang, Mustang Sally. But this isn't the one done by Wilson Pickett. This is the original. Cedric, who did this song? Uh, this is Mark Rice. Mark then, Rice. He wrote this back in 1965. Mark Rice. All right, super. Mustang Sally. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Stick around. We got some great interviews coming up. Mustang Don't go away.
3: You've been running all over town. I'm gonna have to put your big feet on the ground.
1: And Aerovault Trailers, telling you to listen to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the best automobile show in the southeast.
3: Oh, I'm
0: Okay, we're back and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is one of the original employees of the famous Carol Shelby Motors. And I'm delighted to have him with us this evening because we're doing kind of a tribute show to one of the other former employees, Tweety. And I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening Bernie Kretschmar. Bernie, how you doing? Welcome to Nostalgic Radio and Great. Cars.
1: Great. Yeah. You know, uh, in 1964, I went out to Venice, California, and I went to work for this small startup company run by this dynamic guy. He was about 40 years old. His name was Carol Shelby, and he called the company uh, Shelby American. I went out there on my lunch hour in 1964 to Venice. Venice uh, was a pretty wild place back then, just a small building on Princeton Street. But anyhow, I showed up there one day, and I went through the race shop real quick. Funny enough, was is I went all the way through the place and looking at all the cars and they had a diner going and I went right out the back door and there was this small tin shed and there was a guy in there. Uh, mixing up fiberglass and he was building molds for scoops and, you know, uh, racing seats and, you know, everything. And, uh, his name was Tweety, Bob Aldridge. And he's actually the first guy I met when I went to Kell Sh- Shelby and, uh, he, he uh, gave me a pretty good indication there. He kind of read my mind. He says, are you going to apply for a job? And I said, yeah, I probably will. And he said, well, he says, if you go across the street to the production shop, they'll put you to work right away. And I said, no, I want to work right here. It was a pretty wild place there, the race shop. They were, the dinos were going, and they were testing cars in the city streets in front of the building. And uh so I got hold of an ap- application real quick and I filled it all out, you know, I had all my tools and I could weld and I'd been building hot rods for seven or eight years. And uh they took that application and they never even looked at it. They went right out the front door with me and uh you know, we're all into cars back then and anyhow I'd driven my thirty two roadster which was on the cover of one of the car magazines and uh so they called under the car and looked at the car and they had me open the hood and they looked at the Corvette engine and uh they uh we talked for a little bit and i had to get back to work and they said uh well we'll we'll call you you know don't call us we'll call you so i left and uh, a few weeks later you know out of the blue i got a call to go to work there at shelby american i ended up working for chuck Cantwell on the uh the mustang program the r models jerry titus's race cars and the Trans Am team but uh Get back to Tweety. This guy was amazing. He was a painter, you know, painted the Cobras, and painted the targets on the Cobras. But also on top of that, he was one of the first ones i would seen it was laying up molds of uh, fiberglass. He would come in and make a template or a mold and uh, then he'd cover it in fiberglass and he'd start making scoops and stuff and hoods. And, you know, on the GT40s, he would make the different scoops and different things but he was just an extremely talented uh painter you know a fiberglass guy body man he he could do everything you know and uh he ran that uh part of the shop but uh you know i want to appreciate uh you know robert you and alan for bringing tweety to the different conventions and reunions over the years uh, we really appreciate it you know uh he, he had a tough time those last few years you know uh a lot of the painters, you know, they became diabetics and they had a lot of health problems. But uh, it was quite a wild time back then. You know, when I went in there, I thought I was going to work on the 289 Cobra. And they said, no, I'm work on this other program, which was uh, the Mustang program. Now,
3: the way it was
1: is everybody in the shop, they didn't want to work on that program. They were working on a Cobra, a Daytona Coupe. So they gave it to the new guys, which was uh, Jerry Swartz, myself, Mike Sankster, uh working for Chuck Cantwell. So we drugged these Mustang bodies inside, and they looked a little different because, remember, this 1964, all you had was notchbacks running around L.A., notchback Mustangs, and these had a slant back on them with a short trunk. It was the first Mustang Fastbacks, and we drug them in the shop there and made race cars out of them. And uh, it didn't look too good on paper. You know, with Dick Goldstrand with a Corvette, with a 327 and disc brakes all the way around but uh chuck count was pretty sharp we kept lightning the cars and lowering the cars and and we, finally we got two things and which was uh we got some Goodyear stock car tires and we got jerry titus as our driver and uh he beat all the corvettes and jaguars on the west coast and then uh, on to uh daytona and he, he beat everybody in the country and he was uh 1965 national champion. and the next year, we built uh, 16 Trans Am sedans, and Jerry Titus won the last race uh, at Riverside to uh, win the championship for Ford for the Trans Am. Then in uh, 1967, it uh, really got competitive, and we had ran a two-car team, and it was Dr. Dick Thompson and Jerry Titus. And then uh, the major amount of the sponsorship money went to uh, Lincoln Mercury, and they hired Dan Gurney and Parnelli Jones and Bud Moore, and they built the Cougars to race against us. And anyhow, all season, back and forth, uh, they won races, we won races. We got down to the last race of the year. It's always the last race of the season. We're up there in Kent, Washington, and the Cougars were two points ahead in the series. So during this race, in order to win the championship, one Mustang had to finish in front of Parnelli and Gurney and uh at the end of the day uh you know we finished in front of those two cougars and we won the championship but uh just uh it was a wild time back then traveling around the country with Shelby.
0: when you were uh did, so you actually had the opportunity to go leave the race shop and follow the race team around and go to some of the races and then right if i understand you correctly oh yeah yeah so you became part of the oh, pit yeah. crew then right correct wow but that was exciting you were still a young kid back in those days right
1: well you know i was 23, 24 years old. You got to remember the race shop was guys in their young guys in their 20s and 30s. Shelby was only about 40 years old. The guys on the assembly line when we moved to the airport, they were 17, 18, 19 years old. It was a very young bunch of guys, you know, back then.
0: You know, the, the thing that am- amazed me too was back in the day, and I talked to Carroll Shelby a number of times about it, and some of the former employees because you guys would get together and have a reunion. But the camaraderie that you guys had as a team, it was all about everybody getting together and making the race team work. It wasn't about the job so much as far as, you know, from a payroll standpoint or making money. It was, you guys were committed car guys.
1: Well, it, you know, the pressure was on, you know, after the Cogars went out and beat everybody. And then the Daytona Coops uh, won the world championship in the GT40s, Mark Twos, you know, beat the Ferrari at Le Mans. So here here we came with a Mustang program, so there was pretty much, you know, we knew what we had to do. So we wanted to do well like our other guys in the race shop did, you know what I mean? Uh, You you work six days a week. Before the big races, you work seven days a week. You're on the road quite a bit, you know. uh, Like in Texas, Titus has rolled his Trans Am car in 67, we worked all night and rebuilt the whole car for him so he could go back out and run the next day. So he kind of did whatever you had to do, and, uh, you know, Shelby was really good about, you know, whatever you got to do, do it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he gave us the time and the tools, and, you know, uh, we worked a lot of hours. It was crazy, the hours that we worked. But those cars, like, you know, they were, the races were all one in the race shop. Because all those cobras, G T forties, Mustangs, they were all prepared real well.
0: Shelby made a comment too a long time ago. He says it's not me, it's the people I have working for me. He says I have got the best team. A lot of truth to that, right, Bernie?
1: You know, he uh he was real good at delegating uh everything. Uh you know, he used to call here at ten o'clock at night and we would talk about the times and, and uh all, all the work that we did, and he said, "Well, that was the he said that was the spirit of Shelby American," and he said, "There'll never be another place like Shelby American." You know what I mean? Assembly line, a race shop with three or four teams going in and out, and you know. And after I got off the phone, I thought, "Well, you know, he's right. You know, that probably won't happen again. You know, a startup company like that just taking off like that. You know, those cars." You know they were bulletproof when they went to the tracks you know they were they were you know they weren't as sophisticated as the Ferraris but you know they won
0: well the legacy and the legend uh is written in the history books there's no question about that now how long were you with Carol shelby you lived left when sixty
1: eight sixty nine i I worked there sixty five six and seven
0: okay And then now you, later, you know, we ran into you a couple times, well, a lot at a lot of the Shelby meets. Now, you had a 66 Shelby that you kind of, uh, or a Mustang that you kind of recreated to look like a Shelby, like one of the cars.
1: It's a a 65 uh, Arma Uh look-alike, basically. And we we race it around the country here, and we do the local Shelby Club events and open tracks. uh, I've actually got to, that's a clone, and I, I have two. Other Shelby Mustangs, a 66 Hertz car, black with a gold stripe. I just finished restoring. And then for my wife, I've got a 68 uh, GT500 convertible. You know, power steering, automatic. You know, it's a bullet green color.
0: So Shelby American is alive and well in your blood, right?
1: Oh yeah, we're still, uh, you know, we're still fooling with these cars. I still have my 32 Roadster I've had for fifty some years.
0: You said yeah. you said that car was on the cover of a magazine. Which magazine was it on? Prod and Custom. Oh, really? What issue? What year? 61. Yeah. Cool. You got any other Tweety stories? You know, Tweety was a funny guy. You know, we moved
1: to the airport, and uh, he was working with all this fiberglass and acetone and all this highly flammable stuff. So they made him a shop inside the bunker, you know, the, uh, the blast wall out there at the airport. Uh-huh. Actually, that was a big area inside there, and they made him a special work area there because they they didn't want him inside the aircraft hangar because all this stuff he worked with was so flammable, and they had him out there. But, uh, you know, again, I appreciate you guys taking him around to the different conventions and reunions. I mean, uh, that was the highlight of his life, uh, his last few years there.
0: Tweety used to uh, paint helmets and... Uh... Briefcases for people and all kinds of other stuff. Did he do anything for you? No,
1: but I, you know, I heard he was one of the first guys to shoot metal. Like I, 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 I heard that somewhere. Uh, he painted uh, Craig love Spirit of America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the it, the, the three wheel car, the jet car that ran a Bonneville. Right. He painted that whole paint scheme on that uh, that uh, land speed record car. Jordan. He worked for all the different. Uh, guys, you know, the custom car guys way back. You know, it got so big, so quick, you know, they went from Princeton Street, and then they moved to the airport, and by 1966, there was 250 people working there. You know, there was the engine shop, the race shop, the show car division, the parts department, the assembly, you know, the assembly line, they had all these different, it just grew and grew there. It got real big, you know. I tell the story of Shelby coming down in 66, and he wanted to sell those beat-up Cobras that are outside under the weather. The GT40s just came in and made everything else look obsolete. He wanted $4,000 each for those five Daytona Coupes, which were sitting outside under car covers. It's crazy, all the cars that... uh, when I'm sold last year for $8 million, it's crazy, absolutely crazy what things are going for.
0: Bernie, since the 50th anniversary of the Mustang, are you going to uh, any of the big Mustang celebrations around the country?
1: You know,
5: uh, I
0: think
1: I haven't planned on anything yet. I'm going to go to Cart Lake for the National Shelby Convention next month.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, just do the local thing around here pretty much.
0: Okay. Is there going to be any big celebration in... Uh... California? I mean, there's a big thing going on in Charlotte right now, this week as we speak, because today, April 17th, is the
1: there's one this weekend in Las Vegas. There's a big, same deal as Charlotte in Las Vegas this weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So you're not going to make that?
1: No, I'm not going to be able to make that one. I Hmm? talked to Rick Titus the other day. He's going to be there.
0: Okay. uh,
1: uh, Yeah, 50 years. That's crazy. Since 1964, here we are. 50 years. It's 50 years. Since 1964, when I went out there and put in my application, that's crazy. Yeah, but you know what? It's,
0: it's a great story. It's true. Yeah. And you've got a lot of fond memories, too. And you're a part of history, Bernie. Oh, yeah. It's a car history, I guess. The car made it all look good. The car, exactly. And it's in the history books. There's no question. That's right. Well, Bernie, I know you got a few things you got to do. I want to thank you for taking some time out to hang out with us here on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Maybe I'll see you at uh, Elkhart Lake at the next Shelby Convention. I haven't been to any of those in a while, but uh, I might be able to make that one. That's uh, Is it end of May? Is that what it is? It's
1: actually May uh, 17th or 18th Okay. in Elkhart Lake. It's like a Thursday, Friday, and a Saturday.
0: That's a super track up there, Elkhart Lake. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see you at some of these events and uh, enjoy your Shelby's. At any rate, I do want to thank you very much, Bernie, okay? Appreciate okay. it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And if you tuned into the first part of the show, we had uh, myself, we had Alan, we had uh, a former Shelby employee, Bernie Kretschmar. The show is kind of a tribute show to one of the uh, former employees of uh, Shelby American. Actually, he was the only team race car painter, and uh, he'd been with Carroll Shelby a number of years. But also with me now, I have two more former Shelby Top-notch employees. The first gentleman is uh, Chuck Cantwell. He is the uh, he was actually in charge of the GT350 program. And the second gentleman is uh, Jerry Schwartz. And Jerry Schwartz ended up being the head of the uh, Shelby Trans Am program. So, without further ado, I want to welcome Jerry and Chuck to the radio show. Chuck, Jerry, how are you guys doing?
2: Fine. How are you, Robert? I'm doing good. You're doing good, too. So,
0: uh, well, yo, happy Easter to both you guys. Thank and you. you. And uh, so, uh, Chuck, tell us a little bit about uh, your humble beginnings at Carroll Shelby, and then we'll do the same with you in a minute or two, uh, Jerry.
2: Well, I came there from uh, from General Motors. I had worked at General Motors styling staff, and, and uh, a friend had gone to work for Ford Special Vehicles. And when the Shelby program was in the planning stages, he'd called and Asked if I was interested in being the project engineer on the on the uh, cars, and I said sure. So I went out and interviewed and and got the job. So I started up just a little bit before Jerry got there, and uh, we sort of got things going. Um, planning the program and, and getting all the parts lined up that we needed and the cars ordered from San Jose and that that kind of thing. So it was a busy time for quite a while there.
0: Now, when you first started, did you were you involved uh, in the street program and the race program or just the street program and then ultimately the race program? How did that all come about? No,
2: well, just I, I was involved in all, all of it. street program. The, the first car we built was a race car. Okay. But at the same time, we started building the first street car. We had... Uh, only three cars in our first order of cars from San Jose. There were one street car and two race cars. So first race car we built started building right away, and Jerry's the one that built that and his crew. And then uh, the street cars were were built on jack stands for a while. About the first thirty street cars were built on jack stands at at the Venice facility, and then we moved to the uh, new facility for us at a hangar. Two hangers, I guess, at the uh, L.A. airport. They were leased from North American Aviation, and uh, so once we moved the assemblies there, we had an assembly line for the cars, and and uh, we could build them a lot quicker. But we didn't build them nearly as fast as regular um, production line could build them. But we had our own production line, and and uh, and built the cars fairly well in, in an orderly fashion.
0: Jerry, when you started there, uh, what was your background, and how did you come to uh, to Shelby American?
3: Actually, uh, my background, I came from northern Indiana, and um, there I was a uh, body man, painter, and a mechanic, and um, I had a friend of mine who'd moved to California, and um, I decided I wanted to go there because that's where it seemed to be all the, the racing activity, no matter what, and I've always been really interested in racing. So I moved out there, and initially I got a job in a body shop there. And uh, one day uh, my friend, uh, who was one of the first Shelby employees, gave me a call and said, and this was still at the Venice plant, said, uh, hey, you need to come out here and get your, uh, uh, get in because they're going to have a uh, uh, big program and they're going to be hiring a lot of people, and you need to get your name on the list here. And uh, so I said, boy, that sounds good to me. And I went out and uh, interviewed there at the Venice plant, and uh, the first thing they wanted me to do, they had a, a, a kind of a prototype car there, and it says, "We want you to uh, radius these spare wheels for the racing tires." They showed, they had one side that they uh, had a guy do, then asked me if I could do the other side, and uh, yeah, I sure did. I wanted that so bad, I didn't stop for breaks or anything, and got it done. And they said, "Okay, you can. You're hired. You can start tomorrow." And uh, I, I was living 80 miles away and, and working in a body shop. I told them I needed a week to. Get prepared. They didn't like that, but they took it. So that's how we got started.
0: <laughs> Who was the guy that worked at Carroll Shelby at the time that invited you over there? Who was your friend?
3: Ted Sutton.
0: Ted Sutton. Okay. Now, when you guys first started, how many guys were there? So was this? Uh, is this like around late 64, 65, 65, 65? Give us a timeline. Uh,
2: this was, it was uh, like October or November of sixty four when when we got our first cars. <clears throat> We'd done some planning work and and uh, you know I had a lot of discussions, a lot of plans and and uh, Part procurement and stuff before, just prior to
3: that. So.
0: now, Jerry, did uh, was Chuck the one that hired you, or who actually hired you?
3: The um, plant supervisor at that time was Jack Bolch. Okay, and uh, he hired me. Okay, yeah, he was a race shop, race shop supervisor.
0: So, how many people worked at the uh, at the uh, shop back in the day when you guys first got there? How many employees were there totally? Uh,
3: Gosh, that's hard to say because um, the competition shop was sort of in two sections. We had the section for the Mustangs, then um, in the same building but in a different area was the uh, um, Cobras and GT40s and all of that Daytona coupes. So um, I don't know totally how many there were in the whole department, but in our department we were just normally had around six people okay now did yeah, both uh, in the go ahead in the mustangs
2: uh, we had a had a production uh manager and, and an assistant that were was setting up the production uh procedures and so forth and and they probably when, when we just began like i said there's only half a dozen but the race shop had what 20 guys maybe in there uh working on the cobras and the gt40s yeah, and that kind of thing uh... Was, uh, Mustang stuff was all done separately, and we were sort of four stepsisters at the beginning. But after we built the car and Ken Miles won the first race with it, then we were pretty well accepted. And by then, which was the end of the year, we'd built 13 streetcars. And and, uh, and uh, just before we moved all everything over to the assembly line, once we got to the assembly line, then there's probably oh, 30 or 40 guys
3: working on the assembly line.
0: Both you guys, when you first started working there, was Tweedy there already? Yes. Jerry?
3: Um, I guess he was. I I wasn't really aware of Tweedy right away. Uh Um, After a while, I heard his name, but that didn't ring a bell to me. And then I found out that uh, he was actually the one that does all of the fiberglass work. And I was really interested in to learn fiberglass work. I found out that they had him holed away in the, what we called the bunker out in back of the airport uh, plant. And uh, they had him separated because of the fiberglass had uh, fumes that a lot of people couldn't stand and just needed to be isolated from most people. So uh, I went out and introduced myself to him one day and, and told him uh, I'd be willing to help him in my uh spare time when I was off the clock, if uh, he would just uh, show me how to do fiberglass work because I wanted to, really wanted to learn that. And he was kind of standoffish and suspicious at first. Like, I he maybe he thought I was trying to take his job or something. Uh-huh. But um, uh, he warmed up, and I spent quite a bit of time out there because like, uh, I was living a far away from the plan at the time, so I, I didn't go home every night. Okay. I had uh, I had time to spend with him doing that, and eventually I got to know him fairly well. But he was an amazing guy. Uh, I don't know. I'll tell you one thing that just blew me away. Uh, This was a little later on. Most of the time I was out there earlier on, he was just doing stuff like making brake ducts and uh, various things, uh, smaller parts. But uh, one day I was out there, and they come pulling in the whole back-end section with GT40 from the doors back. And they said uh, they wanted this expanded two and a half inches each side to um, accommodate wider rear tires. So he said, no problem. He grabbed an air grinder with a cutoff wheel and started maybe a foot back from the doors and cut a, cut the thing above the wheels uh, laterally from front to back, all the way back to the rear spoiler on both sides. And then he uh, took some aluminum, and uh, once he got it cut, they, he pulled it apart the two and a half inches and then laid the aluminum over that and click it in place, got it r- uh, real tight and flush, turned the car, the thing upside down, and laid it up from the inside starting with uh, over where the aluminum patch were and then filling that in and then laying the whole works up with more matte and uh, cloth, let that cure, turned it over, took the patch off. And by doing it that way, the exterior surface was took very little work to make it paint ready. And I was just completely blown away by that. And uh, that's <laughs> the thing that really impressed me. And all this time, I had no idea that he did all of these fancy custom cars, street rods, you know, Prize winning top notch stuff. And uh, Painter, I had no idea he was doing all of that stuff in the pinstriping, all of that. and uh, But it was kind of weird because occasionally little uh, yellow Tweety Birds would pop up here and there <laughs> in the strangest places. <laughs>
0: Chuck, is there the original, like the hood scoop, the side scoops, and stuff like that for the '66 cars, and possibly the '65? Um, Pete Brock supposedly designed some of that stuff, and then Tweety was the one that fabricated and did the experimental stuff on it. Is that yeah, true? I
2: think he did all of, all the prototype stuff on the on the pieces that that Pete designed for the car, mm-hmm. uh, on the hood, and then the uh, probably on the race car, the front balance panel, and uh, he'd do the prototype stuff, and then we. would Send them to a, a fiberglass shop to get uh, things fabricated. Though, though he made a lot of the uh, brake scoops for the race cars, and they changed the design over a couple, a couple times. But uh, he he would do all all of those the hoods, hoods, the scoop on the hoods, and the hoods were made at a fabrication shop. And uh, but uh, from the prototypes that Tweedy had done at the beginning, <clears throat> and I don't know whether he, Do you know, Jerry, if he painted the. Uh, 350 numbers on the sides of the cars when we first started. Nobody no, did don't that, know. but
3: I don't no, know. I don't really uh,
2: don't. And the strand, the side stripes, we those were painted before they were decals. Yeah, yeah, the very first ones. Yeah, he was uh, <clears throat> Tweety when you, you know, being from the Midwest, I was like I was from Indiana, like Jerry was, and uh, it was sort of a different culture out there. And uh, Tweety was, was sort of a quintessential West Coast. Uh, surfer type of guy. I don't know whether he ever surfed or not, but you'd expect to go out. <clears throat> seeing him, he had, sort of had long hair and, and uh, was pretty independent. And if you'd see him, uh, you'd expect to find the surfboard on top of his car. He, but he was really, really good at what he did. And he'd learned striping, I think, from Von Dutch, who was one of the top strivers. That's what I heard the it,
0: now, Jerry, you were there... Uh, you said till sixty eight. Is that how long you were at Shelby American? Yes. Okay. And then Chuck, how long were you there?
2: I was there to the end of to the end of the sixty eight season.
0: Okay. So you guys were there probably about the till about the same time then.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Jerry left a little before I did.
0: Now, when you so Jerry was involved with the Trans Am program. Uh, what was your capacity with uh, Shelby American at the time? Mine. Yes.
2: Yeah, I was the uh, project engineer on the Trans Am cars. So.
0: Okay. So you guys worked together then?
2: So, yeah, we worked together. Yeah. yeah, Jerry was Jerry built all the cars. And, um, all the Trans Am cars and all the uh, R-model race cars and, and the early prototype stuff, too.
3: Okay.
0: Jerry, did you um, did you get to do any driving?
3: Um, I had no desire to drive in a race, although uh, occasionally when we would—we tested every car we built at the Willow Springs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck usually was the uh, test driver, uh, but occasionally he would let us— or let me, anyway, uh, drive one around, but uh, I never tried to get in over my head. I just drove it around just to see what it felt like, but uh, that was about well it. Chuck, now you... I, I had no aspirations to be a driver. <laughs> <laughs> now,
0: Chuck, you did... you Well, you did a lot of driving, too, right? I mean, you did a lot of the testing, and uh, I think I was reading a number of times that you uh, were on, like, Riverside and Willow Springs and some of the other tracks.
2: Yeah, well, I... Yeah, I, I, I didn't get the... I wasn't... That wasn't on my job list, but... Okay. I did as much as I... Much as I could, and the testing just sort of ended up falling in my lap. So I was I was glad to do that, and I, I tested most of the R models and all of the Trans Am cars when they were building, and and I got to run the, the GT350 at uh, at Willow Springs where we tested but i got to run that in the divisional championship race there and ended up winning that on sunday well good and uh, and then don pike and dick smith and i ran his trans am car at riverside in the six hour race and won that and i ran with ray wolf in the 66 uh, trans am at riverside though so we we blew an engine didn't finish but got to run that
0: let me ask both you guys the same question and each one of you can answer it differently what do you think and 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 I, and I and I talked to Carol Shelby a long time ago. Many times I when I would see him at the meets, and you know Carol would actually, he, I was it was flabbergasting because he would give all you guys so much credit, and there was so much camaraderie. I mean, I'd ask Shelby, you know, wh- what attributed to his success, and he says it wasn't me; it was the people that were working with me, my team. So having said that, you know, I mean, now everybody knows Pensky's background. Pensky, we always we jokingly around here say you know, those us, even though I'm a Ford guy, but everything's Penske perfect. Pensky Penske had probably the most well-oiled team. But Carroll Shelby and Shelby American and you guys were equally as successful in campaigning your race cars and wins and victories throughout the world. So what do you think attributed to it? Chuck, I'll let you go first.
2: Well, I, th- I think it's uh, <clears throat> the fact that like, Carroll had good people. I mean, there were skilled people and they were dedicated and everybody worked well together and worked hard. Um, and they had good leadership and good uh, good skills, Um, so they figured out what to do and how to do it right and how to do it well and and, uh, put the time and the energy and the effort put into it to make it happen.
0: Jerry? What's your thoughts?
3: Well, I can't. Um, he, he pretty well covered it, but uh, uh, let me put it this way. Uh, myself and uh, all of the people in my group, I'm sure, would would have done that for no pay if, if we um, could still pay our bills and live. You know, you can't. But we loved it, and we're so into it that much. I I would have done it for nothing, and uh, it just became so intense it was just a part of you.
0: Do you realize that you guys really are an important part of of American SCCA and Trans Am racing history? Does that that ever occur to you guys? Oh, now? Yeah, seriously.
2: Now, sure. That's great. But not necessarily at that time. I don't think it was Uh so apparent that—I mean, history takes— Takes time to develop history. I mean, right at the end of World War II, uh, World War II wasn't even in the history books, but you know it was quite an event. But then the same with the, what went on at Shelby. It was the same thing at the time. It was it was something everybody took pride in, and it was well done. You know, Shelby's teams never <clears throat> never lost a, uh, a GT40 type car race to uh, any other of the other teams that were racing in the, the same events. You know, because they had Home and Moody, and they had Alan Mann, and -hmm. The Shelby team always did did the best and won the races.
0: That's interesting, and it does. It's got a fantastic track record. Now, let me say this, and you guys can both answer this question individually as well. This being the 50th anniversary of the Ford Mustang, okay, and, you know, there's no secret I'm a big Ford guy, and you guys are too, obviously. But do you think the Mustang was probably the best choice? One of the, I mean, you know, from a competition standpoint, from a street standpoint, do you think the Mustang was just a great car back in the day and even today? Jerry, I'll let you go first.
3: I, th- I think so. Um, uh, of course, the obvious uh, comparison would be the Camaro.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, in our case, the big competition was the uh Cougars, but uh, uh, I just thought the Mustang was an ideal car in just about all respects. I, uh, the appearance and the way it was uh, built and balanced and, of course, everything that we put in it to make it co- competitive, that was my choice. I just thought it was cool.
2: Chuck? Yeah, I, I thought so. That it was the first of the, of the pony cars, and I guess the pony cars are called pony cars because the Mustangs were, <laughs> you're right. were the ponies. Mm-hmm. And uh they were the first ones out was with, with that design that I was still a GM styling when the Mustang came out and uh we just they just started laying out the Camaro at that time uh so they were ahead of ahead of GM by a couple of years and everybody else by the same amount and uh, they brought out the car that was the concept of uh what that kind of car should be. And it uh and it sold very well and was very popular and, and you know it still looks good today. You see the cars on the those old cars, they they look very, very nice and solid today and they made a good race car. They had uh everything that you needed, I guess, to to make a good car. They had good engines, had good uh, solid driveline, and, and uh, were able to put uh, special transmissions in them, you know, the Warner transmissions, which they offered, but we had a special ver- high-performance uh, version that was a close-ratio gearbox <clears throat> and had the special large rear ends that were solid, and, and they made uh, good equipment available from the factory for the cars, and then plus the uh, stuff that we added, uh, you know, carburetors, manifold headers, and all that stuff. Uh, made the car a really good race car.
0: We got a, be- a few minutes left. Uh Jerry, Chuck, I want to thank you very much, but before we go away, can you guys each think of one more Tweety story? I'll let whichever one you guys want to go first, just uh, just a little something, just a little tidbit about Tweety, something that okay, uh, I'll, I'll
2: go first. I okay. I, I was quite impressed. Tweety came to a number of the conventions. Finally, you brought him along, right. Robert. And that was it was really neat to see him after all these years. But but the one I remember the most <laughs> when he arrived with was, it was crutches and a broken leg because he'd been skydiving and. How old was he then? 70 something there.
0: Uh something. I don't remember what it was. I mean,
2: he was <clears throat> he was uh even at that age he was off doing doing things and uh, having adventures and jumping out of an airplane even with a parachute. Was at that age was pretty brave.
0: <laughs> he was a daredevil, there's no question about that. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry, you got a quick story?
3: No, not really. Um, my um biggest remembrance is is uh, working with him out in a bunker and uh him showing me how to do things. But the thing that really amazed me, and I didn't find this out until much later, was all of the things that he had done – and was famous for and considered the best that, that there actually was and i didn't know anything about it because he never mentioned it. i mean he was very humble he mm-hmm. didn't mention any of that
0: yeah. yeah he was he was a humble guy you know when i first met him it was the same thing he came into my shop and he would come in all the time wouldn't say much and then one day he saw my shelby sitting out back i wasn't there but my my staff said that this guy came in and he saw your shelby and he asked if uh, uh if it, whose car it was and they said it was mine so when i first met him what was interesting, and I mentioned this earlier in the show, is he didn't really know much about the production cars, which I was really into. But what was interesting, he seemed to know a lot about racing. He would talk about Le Mans. He would talk about Riverside. He would talk about uh, you know racing at Daytona and Sebring. So eventually, I put the pieces together. And then when I ran into Pete Brock one time, I asked Pete, I said, uh, does the name Tweety ring a bell? And his response was, oh, my gosh, Tweety, is he still alive? And I said, <laughs> yeah, is, is the guy's for real. He says, oh, yeah, he was absolutely amazing. He was a factory team race car painter. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool. And then years later, when I went to uh, Lime Rock, there was a Shelby meetup there, and Carol Shelby was there, and I mentioned it to Carol Shelby, and Shelby's response was the same. Oh, my God, he's still alive? And I said, yeah, he is, he says. And then under his breath, he goes, you know, they still haven't figured out, here it is, 40 years later, they still haven't figured out what Guardsman Blue was. So he wrote a little tidbit on one of those, uh, on a, on a flyer that he had for the, for the Shelby Series One cars, and it says, hey, Tweety, they still haven't figured out Guardsman Blue, uh, love you, Carol Shelby. And I thought that was cool because that eventually got published in a sack. So, um, <laughs> it was kind of neat.
2: Well, I, you know, I, my observation there, when I first came there, the race shop was down the corner and we were working on a Mustangs a little bit of ways from there. But those Cobra Coupes, every time they came in and, uh, from a race and went back out for the next race, they always looked nicer and better and they just got better and better. And I guess that was Tweety's work that was doing that.
0: It was an amazing guy. you know, And like, yeah. like all you guys, you guys just had an amazing team, an amazing uh, amount of camaraderie, and uh, extremely successful. Hey, Chuck, Jerry, I want to thank both you guys for taking a few minutes and telling a few Tweety stories. Um, both of you guys are going to be at Elkhart Lake, right? That's uh, the big Shelby meet in May sometime, right? That's right, right. yeah. Well, with a little luck, I'll be up there this time. I haven't been to any Shelby meets in a while because of my schedule and stuff like that. But, uh, again, I thank you very much and I look forward to seeing you guys at, uh, at, uh, at Shelby. I guess it's what, SAC 40 something?
2: Yeah, SAC 39 or 40. 39. I, I, I can never keep track.
0: Wow. That's a lot <laughs> of
2: Shelby.
0: It's a lot of Shelby meets. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's been a lot of them, but, uh, <laughs> it'll be a good event.
0: Well, the good thing well, is, is that Jerry, you are, uh, yeah, you have a Shelby or a Shelby look like a clone, correct? Right? So you're still cool. driving your Mustang and. Yeah,
3: it's, uh, it's not. It's got. It's not painted like a Shelby, but it's got the hood and all of the stuff on it. Okay. And it's, all of the suspension and everything else. I don't have stripes or anything like that.
0: Well, the 65s, they didn't have any stripes on them, right? The first ones that rolled off the assembly line, they were just. Oh, well, yeah. They one?
3: did. Did it? The rocker panels. Yeah. Rocker those, panels. There's pictures of
2: those cars sitting out a whole lot full of them with no stripes or one car with stripes, but the dealers did a lot of them, I think, eventually.
0: And Chuck, you have a Shelby now, too, right? You got a 65 I have a, or 66?
2: I have a 66, yeah.
0: Oh, well, good. You gonna have so, both? You guys gonna have them up at Elkhart Lake?
2: No, I go. No, <laughs> that's a long drive. That was okay. That's a drive a for, for, <laughs> for, for, for me anyway, and for probably the same for Jerry. Or okay. more.
0: Well, anyway, hey, I want to thank you guys again. Happy Easter to all you guys, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to seeing you up at Elkhart Lake.
2: Okay. okay. Same to you, Bob. It'll be good to see you up there.
0: Okay. Take care, guys. Thank you very yeah. much.
2: Bye, bye, Jerry. Bye, bye.
0: Well, anyway, hey, this was a special tribute to Tweety. Alan, thank you for uh, showing up and telling us your stories about Tweety. You know, we all had some good stories about him. The guy was an extremely talented guy. You know, it's funny because during the interviews here, I was thinking that not one person mentioned the firecrackers, the prankster that he was. And, uh, you know, it was funny because, too, when I talked to Carol Shelby and Pete Brock, you know, it's kind of like everybody was surprised that he was still alive. And it's almost as if they expected him to blow himself up. Of course, you and I both know he didn't do that. But uh, at any rate, that worked out real good. Okay, anyway, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Be sure and check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, check out our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, love your family, and we will see you at some of the car shows or musical events. Take care, everybody. And don't forget, happy 50th birthday to the Ford Mustang, everybody. Dug our treasures <laughs> there, recall.
5: Rig to
3: the other side to the other side I don't mean to be telling tales out of school But there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can Downtown Dave I'm not here to make a record, you jump cracker They broadcast me out on the radio WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay Listen, you jump cracker